Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. This is episode 99, episode 99. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, lots happened since the last episode. We've uh, we've had fishing trips, we've had South Africa trips, we've had uh, meetings and lots of stuff. We've had fear, uh, fires in, in Deer Park. I mean, it's been a lot going on since the last show. I feel like we hadn't recorded in like six weeks or something. It's only been a couple of weeks, but yeah, you know, Josh, I, <laughs> I was thinking about that. We uh, we went down to Baffin Bay, and we're gonna we're gonna play. We got to interview. Uh, uh, the owners down there, and so we're gonna play a little clip of that. Now, the audio um, might not be uh, great. It, I listened to a little bit of it; sounded okay, but might have, might not be a little bit might not be perfect, I should say, because um, the equipment that we ordered did not come in time. Unfortunately, that's not Nate's fault. Actually, it's Amazon's fault. So I'd like to blame Nate, but he gets a pass here. I don't know why, but he does. Um, so if the audio is a little bit wonky there, I think it's okay. But if it's a little bit wonky, blame Amazon for not getting us the proper equipment in time. But Josh, you, you mentioned being gone. I was in South Africa with Nate actually last week, um, and so I didn't look at a lot of the headlines. Were I was expecting maybe Sergio Chapa, friend of the show, or maybe David Blackman, Forbes contributor, to write about the Baffin Bay beatdown uh, because that's what they were calling it down there was mm. the Baffin Bay beatdown. And um, did you see those headlines? Were those headlines uh, populating the interwebs while I was gone? Well, while I was uh, while I was doing some research, Ryan, I uh, I noticed a few. Um, few specifications they give you you know things you should do shouldn't do and one of the things that uh, high on the list they said when you take your boss uh to play golf you have to make sure that the boss always wins and so um i took that to be relevant to our fishing trip and so uh, i didn't want to jeopardize my my future by embarrassing you too bad on the first trip okay so uh, okay so i I just want to contextualize it a little bit. <laughs> you played the um, part very well. Let me say, I have never <laughs> seen someone play inadequate like you did. It was, it was. You should get an Academy Award for how bad you were at fishing that day. Like it, like I didn't know that was acting. I thought that was just you were that bad. Um, kudos to you, sir, because you surely had me fooled. It was. Um, I just thought you were that bad of a fisherman, but uh, I'll, I'll take you. You're not a liar, so I'll take you at your word that you were. You were spot me one. But we had a absolute blast. It was a little chilly. It was a little chilly. I'm not going to lie. They had a uh, cold front move in, I think, what day two before we went. Uh, but let me tell you something. That was a first-class resort. It was really nice. If you're going to take your clients or friends or uh, family reunions, they said they had uh, down there, uh, Bath & Bay Rod & Gun is a sponsor of this show, and it's definitely something that you should consider doing. Um, man, we had we just had a blast and looking forward to our April trip, which is April 19th. You leave. You go down there. You arrive that Friday, dinner is served at 6.30, and you think, ah, dinner, but that dinner was legit. It was really good. Um, they had um, wine with dinner. Uh, they had some kind of, what was it? I can't remember what it was, a shrimp and, uh, what was it? Mediterranean shrimp. Yeah, like Mediterranean shrimp fantastic. and cake, and they had open bar. Oh, it was just it was just lovely. You get up the next morning, you go fish, and then you come home. So 19th and 20th, texasolongaspodcast.com slash fishing to sign up for that April trip. We have a trip in May. We have a trip in June. Now, you're going to hear them talk uh, at the end of the episode about um, some of the other trips they do later in the year. So we, uh, And I was joking about we need to give them a sponsor of the show for some of those because they have some pretty cool things they do. So anyways, April 19th and 20th, we'll be announcing that winner here pretty soon. Here pretty soon. Um, so if you haven't signed up at texasolongaspodcast.com slash fishing, please do so there. Or go to Bath and Big Rod and Gun and book your own trip. Tell them we sent you... Um, they take good care of you, Josh. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was a great trip. I can't say enough about it. Had fun. It was great to connect with the listeners. Had fun with them. They were good sports, and uh, you know, obviously, Josh and I were were riding each other the the whole trip. And then came back, as you mentioned, got on the plane. Nate and I had some business down in South Africa, and I got to think about that too, Josh. How does Nate get to go to South Africa and not you? Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, I, I think I'm I think I may have won too many fishing trips in the prior <laughs> months. Uh, get myself in this situation i gotta re- rethink the strategy there too <laughs> so anyways had a great time down in uh south africa on some business and so hopefully if you follow me on linkedin we'll be talking more about that in the coming week so but no man it's been a lot and i saw some of the headlines i know we're getting to them today josh but yeah you're right it feels like it's been uh a month since we've talked on the podcast so it's good to be good to be back oh final thing josh as you know the listeners don't know um 
Well, the listeners don't have a baby coming, which we know today. We went to the hospital this morning. April the 3rd is when baby Piper Ray will be making her entrance to the world or sooner. So uh, what that means for the show, Josh, is if it lands on April the 3rd, we'll be here next week, April Fool's Day. Um, April 8th will be in question. May have one that week or later that week or whatever. But then we'll pick back up. Uh, if we skip the 8th, we'll pick back up on the 15th um, for sure if we do miss one one Monday in there. Well, Ryan, in the in the lapse of time that we've had since the last show, there's been lots of news coming out. Uh, oil prices have had strong projections, and then here recently they had some um, some other uh, some tense um, things going on in the economy that have caused people to to question. Overall, I think the market looks pretty strong. Uh, there was some news that came out. Let's see, this was back on March the eighth. So this was several weeks ago where oil and gas pipelines in New Mexico uh, and Texas to solve some of the Permian bottlenecks. There was a big one, the Gray Oak Pipeline, 850 miles, was scheduled to go live. And there was uh, another pipeline, don't have the exact measurements on it, but it's the Grand Prix Pipeline. So good news, we have some pipelines that are coming online. We had a few that, these were coming online later this year, so they're not, they're not live now, let me clarify that. But they're in the process and, and look to be on schedule for, I believe, the third quarter. Um, we've been tracking this for some time, but uh, good news here. Yep, good news. I think we talked about those maybe when they were going through open season, so it's good to see that those projects are are moving ahead and on schedule as we look forward towards, you know, we talked about it for a while now, Josh, but it's actually getting closer. We're through the first quarter of 2019. We talked about the second half, third, fourth quarter of um, 2019 to, to feel where um, this bottleneck should be relieved, and so it feels like everything is moving towards that point. And as you mentioned, obviously there's a lot of speculation in the market now about what's going on with oil prices um, and the economy and stuff like that. And it's going to be interesting to see how all that shapes out moving forward because you had, um, I believe while I was gone, it was a large uh, draw from the inventory. Uh, maybe the last two weeks, I haven't, I can't remember. It's, it's all kind of fuzzy right now for me. But anyways, it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see. But regardless, we will have, if everything goes according to plan, the alleviation of the bottleneck and that should allow producers if prices are right to feel very optimistic about drilling as they go into 2020 because you won't have these constraints like we've had in the market um, for the past you know six months a year now yeah you know, uh one of the one of the things that I've, I've been trying to track in the permian is when some of these bigger name players like chevron exxon shell what they were going to be doing in the permian this year and it seems like these pipelines are going to prime the market there for some um large uh, acquisitions is what I'm what I'm expecting. There was an article that came out, though, about two weeks ago, maybe a week and a half ago, Chevron builds from shale to scale in the Permian, and it documents Chevron's goal to become you know, one of the, it's already you know, a pretty big player in, in the Permian, but they're making some moves to really become more aggressive this year, probably as those pipelines become um, active and they go live. What are your thoughts, Ryan, about some of these bigger companies? Do you think they're going to come in and, and swallow up all these smaller companies and become the, not necessarily the sole players, but almost uh, the, the sole players in the market? Or do you think the Permian is big enough there, for there to be lots of diversity with these bigger players like Chevron Shell and, and the such? Right. Yeah, and I think that's a good question, and I like the way you framed it, because the Permian... I, you know, so theoretically, I think the big the big boys could come in and buy it out. So you know, theoretically, anything could happen like that regard. But but practically, I don't think that's what's going to happen. And me and you actually had a meeting with a listener, and I won't say his name because I don't remember him giving us permission to use it in this context. But he was saying that what the word on the street is is that the the majors aren't looking to buy smaller EMP companies right now. Um, and kind mm. of my my comment to that was as well. You know, maybe not right now, but if the price if the price were to go down and you saw some companies be distressed, potential bankruptcy, um, you might see that the majors come into play. I think the thing, Josh, if you follow the debate outside of Texas and you kind of follow this global debate, and there's a, a debate about you know how much of the light speed crew can you put on the market, um, you know, is the market too too um, uh, is, it, is it is it is it flush with that right now? We're at refining capacity is it we maxed out? And when you see these headlines, obviously the big companies can be wrong. So that that's that's this practical. You know, anybody can be wrong, but it does give me confidence because we have an article in a minute about shale. When you see these big guys coming in and they're they're investing in the Permian, it's not the same as the Wildcatters. It's not the same as maybe um, 
you know, a Pioneer or an Apache, and there's nothing wrong with any of those companies. They're all, you know, it's all, all, all good for us. But there is something different. We see the Chevrons, the Exxons, the Shells looking to do it because they can do all phases of the game. And so they're looking at it probably a little bit more long-term with a little bit different strategy than some of these other producers are. And I think that's the most encouraging sign. If you were to start seeing Exxon, Chevron, Shell, uh, Shell's not in the market right now, no, but they're, they're looking to get in there. If you start to see these companies exit the Permian, then I think you'd be concerned about what's the long-term viability of the Permian Basin and oil prices in general. Um, and so the fact that they're, they're continuing to move they're continuing to have different strategies. In this article, we're going to link to in the show notes. You know, Chevron talks about that. They don't want to be the first in the game, but you go by trial and error. They want to kind of sit back, see what's going to happen, and then make their play. Um, to me, those are all optimistic signs of, of the market. And, um, you know, price may go down, price may come up. That's a given. But as far as the Permian, what we cover on the show, the Texas Long Guest Podcast, the Eagle for the Permian, things like that, um, it's a very good indicator. And I'll leave it with this. Um, according to this article, from, um, did Sergio put this out? I didn't even look. This, Jordan no, Bloom. it's Jordan Bloom. Okay. So according to Jordan Bloom's um, reporting here, just this is the quote, just in the Permian, Chevron said it aims to hit 600,000 barrels of oil uh, equivalent daily by the end of 2020 and get 900,000 barrels by 2023. That would, for instance, represent almost one-third of Chevron's current global output. So by 2023... Obviously, things will change on what their current global out, uh, output is. But for today, it would represent that projection, one-third. So when they're saying that they're going to put one-third stake of their company's global oil output in the Permian, to me, that's a terrific sign that they feel that prices long-term will be where they can manage them and um, that the Permian has a lot more to give because even you see some of that talk now, too, about how much more does the Permian have to give. Caveat is, could they be wrong? Sure. But, you know, we can read we can read articles um, from different speculators or analysts, but these guys are actually putting their money where their mouth is. It doesn't always mean they're right, but at least they are backing up what they're saying. Well, you mentioned Shell just a minute ago, Ryan. They are looking to bulk up in the in the Permian, uh, as to be expected as, you know, the bottleneck is, is beginning to be alleviated some. They are looking to make an aggressive move. Now, just uh, to kind of recap Shell's position, they got 600,000 net acres from Chesapeake back in 2012. But as a part of the deal, they inherited as a 50-50 Parco and a Darko uh, as a partner. And the two have had, uh, according to this article, they've had a difficulty working together with each other, and they haven't been able to, to kind of go their own way. There's There's been a partnership there that has... Um, made it slightly difficult for them to capitalize the way they, the, each company intends. So is, according to this article, Shell is looking to bulk up and buy some of their own land and acreage and have a you know, pretty major play. You know, looking at the numbers you just said with Chevron, 900,000 barrels a day by 2023, they're making a big push. Shell doesn't have the acreage to, to do something like that. And I think they're looking to start making moves to go in that direction. So that's uh, that's going to be news to watch because uh, I know one source we have where there's a lot of people that are that are under the impression that these bigger companies are not looking to buy these smaller, you know, um, equity back companies. You know, these in cap flat rock and right. that are that are back with these companies. There, but this this would indicate that actually Shell is going to go in and probably try to buy up several of them. Um, and, and put together a package. So it's going to be interesting to watch how this plays out, you know, for the you know, next six months or so. Right. And, and I misspoke a minute ago. I said Shell wasn't in. I meant they weren't in like the, um, like the, like, like they're talking about being here. They're not really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're not have, in the way they want to be. Right. They're not in the way they want to be. They have this deal with their, their 50, 50 partner. They're not going out buying their own stuff just quite yet. And again, when you're looking at trends, you're looking at things to track here, is Shell going to go through with this? And so, um, when you start mentioning people's names, you know, Josh, um, when you talk about buying stuff, um, you know, as we know, supply and demand. Well, if the demand for the acreage is there, well, Shell is a company that has the potential to actually go in there and make these acquisitions, which, in theory, could drive the price up a little bit because people start saying, well, Shell's going to bid on this, you know, that, I need to maybe up my ante, maybe try to, you know, uh, position myself a little bit better. So uh, I think this would be interesting to watch. Does Shell go through with these purchases? If so, it just validates what we've seen with Chevron what we've seen with Exxon, um, then backing out something in the world. But I, I think this is the things you got to track. These are the indicators that they're kind of the best things to track for the long-term viability. Short-term, six months, you know, three months. Obviously, that stuff's, you know, even a year, that stuff's hard to track. But but we hear the news and you see it, and it's like, okay, well, again, this is this kind of validates that point is, 
if she goes through with this purchase. They have 50 50 with Anadarko for whatever reason that's not working out. Um, they're really wanting to go in and get their own stuff, make their own play. Okay, well, if they do that, that's a great indicator for the long-term viability of the um, of the uh, the Permian. And, and the final thing I'll say is I heard someone one time say, well, the big guys are just getting in there because it's kind of like everyone has a Lamborghini, so they need to have one too. But these moves that they're making, these acquisitions, these positions that they're holding seem to be of significance. You know, it's like we said a minute ago, Chevron one-third of their global output by 2023 potentially. You know, that's not just buying a Lamborghini to have it to show off to your friends. That's like buying a fleet of Lamborghinis, you know, to show that you actually have, because uh, you, you believe there's some value in that. So um, when Shell positions itself, it would be interesting to see how much they acquire, um, who they acquire it from, and what they look to see if, you know, their production numbers, you know, three, five, seven years out, um, like we have with Chevron's. Well, another company, uh, in addition to Shell, that is looking to make some Permian plays this year is Halliburton. Now, uh, this article at Forbes, um, it says Halliburton is the largest provider of hydraulic factoring services, um, and it can stand to benefit meaningfully because of the higher activity. So these pipelines come online. Halliburton being the largest provider of hydraulic factoring is looking to benefit even more so than a lot of their competitors. And it has here, as early uh, as 2018, the company had over 4 million horsepower fracking capacity, about 65% larger than its nearest rival. So the news of the pipelines coming online um, is great news for Halliburton, and there should be lots of opportunities. It's going to start to open up with that. And, uh, and I, it's interesting to see what kind of, what kind of, um, what kind of moves they're going to make. I, you know, I, I know people that work for the company. I've, I've known people that have been laid off in the last two years from the company. And um, it's good news to see that they're, they're priming up for what seems to be uh, a really good fourth quarter, especially. And you think of Halliburton, obviously, you know, you got Halliburton, Summerjay, these big companies that have oil field service capacity. Um, I think there's something to that, that, that you know, if they, they can kind of maybe gear a larger trend to the market, um, you know, so that their clients are the clients that we're talking about, the Exxon, the Exxons, the Chevrons, the Shells, um, and, and the, I don't know their full list, but Pioneer, maybe Apache, whatever. So if Halliburton's feeling good about their potential, then obviously for guys like me and you, that means that the producers should be producing. And as you're saying, if, if, if the pipelines come online, um, you don't have the fear of the bottleneck and the prices are good, it should incentivize drillers to drill, which means that drillers will be calling Halliburton to complete the wells and do all the various things that they do for them. So it, it, it's another trend line here that we're seeing. Um, and, and the only thing that worries me, Josh, is that when you look at something like this, um, this is really based upon... Um, um, quarterly reports. And so sometimes the quarterly reports are really more reflective of making sure the stock price doesn't fall too much or, the, or you know, or keeping the stock price where, where you want it to be. So until we see the numbers from Halliburton, it would be kind of hard to tell if, if this will match um, what they're projecting. But if it does, if you start to see these things pick up from Halliburton's standpoint, then we know that that's a sign or a potential or one of the signs you're looking for for a robust drilling um, late 2019 and then get into 2020. So um, now the the thing we keep kind of hinting around here is, you know, will the price stay up? And obviously there's no way to know that. And that's kind of a big topic of debate mm. right now. There's a lot of fear about global recession um, or U.S. recession at least. We have on Gene Epstein this week. On the Energy Week podcast, he talked about at the very end. So if you go to the very end, you can just listen to that. He kind of talks about the 10-year yield curve and how he evaluates that um, to, to indicate whether or not we, he thinks that uh, a recession or a downturn in the economy is coming. But with that being said, um, right now where we sit in March, everyone's kind of going, hey, you know, men think they're good. It feels good. But some people are wanting to sound the alarm bells. And I think, Josh, we're trying to say, hey, we, we don't know, but these are the things we're seeing. It could go one way. It could go the other. But here's some of the trends to look for and to follow. And if Halliburton comes at the end of the second quarter and they say, you know what, we've hired people, uh, that's putting the money where their mouth is. You know, we've we've staffed up. We bought equipment, you know, whatever the case would be. As we go into the third quarter, that's a sign that, yeah, they feel really confident. Whereas if we get in the second quarter and Halliburton goes, you know what, we laid off people. We, we, we froze hiring. And we did this, that, and the other in our permanent assets then it might be a little bit rocky of a second uh, second half of uh, 2019, assuming there's no other underlying issue like, you know, there's a lawsuit or, you know, some kind of accident or something like that. Well, you mentioned an accident, Ryan. Uh, we actually had a listener, and I'm, I'm not going to name any names. We had a listener that reached out to us um, early Monday morning. Um, I think that was, was that last week? 
man, all the times is kind of blurring together. I know. Uh, I know but the morning of the fire in Deer Park, we had a listener reach out, uh, reached out to us early that morning and, and told us about it. And we started following, or I, I started following, I believe, uh, I believe you were on a flight at the time. I was on the plane to South Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were on, you were on the flight. So um, this fire broke out, and we had, I mean, inside scoop on it. We were, uh, I was tracking it, and two or three days go by, and I start seeing it all over my feed. It's up everywhere. It's fire still going, and um, I saw uh, something come out a little earlier today. I believe there's a lawsuit that's uh, that's involved at this point with uh, the company for some of what they're calling ne- negligence with uh, mm-hmm. the way they handled some of the chemicals there. Mm. But um, this is one of the things we hate to see, Ryan, in our industry because it draws, un- it's all over the news feeds and that's where you don't want this stuff. We don't want any media attention at all in any way. Uh, we, we don't like this happening. Um, and when it happens, we want there to be um, transparency. We want there to be uh, steps taken to try to prevent it. Um, so. Seeing things like this, um, and this is one of the bigger ones that I've seen since since we've started the yeah. show, um, Ryan. I mean, this was a pretty major fire. Now, now Josh, if I'm correct here, thankfully not many yeah, people was hurt. That, from uh, what I understand, I didn't get to follow it as much just being down there, and um, I saw the email like you did. But this was what had gone on. I couldn't follow it. But according to this article, it says there's no serious injuries reported, which is which is good to hear. And it looks like all the tanks are put out. That's kind of where I'm. If if I'm mm. following everything, it, it could have been a lot worse than what it was. It looks like though. Yeah, yeah, you certainly. Know, you know, no no deaths, no casualties. And so I, um, I'm curious, Josh, because you followed this a little closer. I'm curious. Um, maybe you heard some of this. The, I would see the headlines, you know, from Africa. So I didn't read the, the articles, but some of the, some of the headlines came out and said that something to the effect. And and I don't want to uh, slander anybody. So if I got the headline wrong, uh, please let me know. But I think there was a headline that said that you know that they had been quoted for um, or cited for you know a safety violation or safety infraction before. And um, maybe a misstep here or there. And so I, I wondered, you know, if you go to any company, there's going to be some kind of, any company that's been around for any, any length of time, having a safety violation or a safety or, a, you know, a near miss or, or whatever the case may be, an accident, you're going to find those things. Um, and so I wondered in the reporting of this incident, are we going to be, you talk about transparency, and that's what we want to know. Is this a company that operated very, very efficiently, but things happen because we're humans? Uh, that's that's one thing, and that could be safety. Inju- that could be injuries or, or near misses or, or whatever. I didn't read the article, so I didn't have a chance to see exactly what they're talking about. Or is it a company that was negligent, and you know now we're looking at you know some very simple fixes that could have prevented this? And I, I don't have those answers. I don't know if you see anything. That's more my question. Do you have you seen any more detailed reporting on exactly um, you know how ITC Deer Park, uh, how the facility was ran, and and what they what kind of records they have on safety and issues like that? Well, it's, it's hard to parse uh, truth mm-hmm. from politics, mm-hmm. honestly, when you, when you go in and start looking at this stuff. What was uh, claimed by some folks is that they were getting passes from some of the inspection companies that are su- that's supposed to hold mm-hmm. them accountable uh, and that the inspection companies were giving them passes. So there's implication there that there's benefits for the inspection company mm-hmm. that are paid off. Uh, so I, 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 I'm putting it in very terse language there. But that, there was the implication that, that that was one of the claims being made uh, by some of the some of the headlines and some of the, and, the and, articles and just that to stop I read. You right there, to be clear, me and you are not making those accusations. We have no idea. No, 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 no. We don't no, want no, to false report it at all. If that's wrong, if you have information, we you know, we won't report your name. I think we want to. We, we you know I think what we we're saying is, you know, if that's the case, that's that, that could be potentially very bad. But um, if that's not the case, if that's not terrible, the case, yeah, what we want to do is make sure people know that that's not the case either. Um, so, as yep. you mentioned a minute ago, transparency is a thing here. And as, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Josh. It's really hard when something like this happens because, you know, um, news media wants to sensationalize everything. And that's their tendency. And so they want to say, well, they had a they had a uh, you know an incident back in 2014. Well, that, that may or may not be relevant. You know, I, I don't know. Um, that's 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 can be beside the point. Were there payments going on or stuff like that, pay-to-play, then that would be potentially, potentially is a key word here, Josh, because pay-to-play or um, giving benefits to an inspection company for overlooking safety things, it depends on what those safety things were, right? If it was major things or minor things. And so um, I think we've been pretty clear on our stances that we want to make sure the industry runs efficiently, effectively, and safely. But we also want to be very careful on how that news is reported. Agreed. Yeah, I, uh, there, the lawsuit that's coming out, um, I picked up article, but I decided we would just wait on it. I wanted to see how it unfolded for a little while. 
I may circle back around with the lawsuit mm-hmm. and see mm-hmm. kind of how the litigation rolls out because there's probably going to be a push for more sanctions, more controls, more safety procedures. So it'll definitely be relevant for yeah. the industry. So we'll uh, circle back around that. I just want to see what mm-hmm. the claims are and what the rebuttals are before I look at it because it's so partisan in a lot of it that I, I we need, need time for it to play out because I don't have time to sure. do all the research to figure out who's telling the truth sure. and stuff. So, um, uh, but yeah, there is a there is a lawsuit going on, and that should bring to light some some more things. Um, you know, in the next, I'd say probably two weeks, week or two. Oh yeah, they'll be they'll be talking about it for sure. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Ryan, we are uh, we're at the the roundup portion of the show. If uh, there's lots of acquisitions, lots of movement. Uh, we mentioned you know some of the ones in the bigger articles, Halliburton and Shell, that are making moves, but. Um, you know, Marathon is, uh, they're setting a $2.4 billion capital budget for 2019. Uh, so they're, they're planning to, um, they want to set expectations, but they, they are, they are still continuing to invest in the, in the area. Um, Nuevo Midstream are going to buy Republic Midstream. So Nuevo is going to have, uh, this acquisition. Uh, Republic Midstream provides crude oil gathering, and Nuevo Dose plans to expand the system's footprint and service offering. So, um, you'll see some, uh, you'll see more of Nuevo in the, I'd say, in the next six months. Here's an interesting one, Ryan. Trump sanctions and OPEC supply cuts are about to push oil prices higher. This was an article that came out that had a lot of people excited, and then I think two two days ago, maybe uh, day before yesterday. We had, or maybe it was yesterday, we had the article that came out that uh, oil prices actually started to decline a bit. So we were expecting these to, the article has possibly go up to as high as 75 a barrel. And then hearing the recent uh, concerns about a possible you know, downturn or a recession, uh, oil prices dropped a little bit. So uh, there's a lot going on. Personally, from what I'm seeing, I'm thinking that the prices are going to stall and then begin to rise again. Uh, but... It's hard, really hard to, to tell, honestly, with the uh, with the way things are in the in the general economy here. Um, next one: oil prices hit by worries of yeah. This is our other article: oil prices hit by worries of sharp economic slowdown. So these two articles are uh, they're a week and a mm-hmm. half apart, uh, posted by the same company. You can see we're very optimistic ten days ago, and now we're less optimistic. Mm-hmm. You know, this article was published eleven hours ago. This is the one you sent me. Yesterday it appears. Mm-hmm. Um, so two 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 different things going on there. I think the 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 first one is going to be a longer term. I think the OPEC cuts or the, uh, yeah the production cuts from OPEC and the uh, the sanctions that were mentioned they're going to ensure that the prices stay pretty strong. I think for the next at least six months. I would think. Um, would you agree with that? You know, Josh, I've learned that on oil prices, I I, I don't know. I don't know. I <laughs> I know I'm going to whip you in fishing, but that's that's about that's about the only thing I can guarantee. You know, I I, I generally feel like um, the prices is, is good right now, um, but you know, I I haven't followed this this article or this piece of news. But I saw Russia talking about they might, if I've read correctly, increase their output, and I just. Uh, well, since been back from Africa, I haven't had a chance to sit down and see what all's going on there. So, it, you know, you got that, and then you have Venezuela. What's going on down there? How long does that persist? Of course, um, there was some chatter this morning that uh, with the Mueller report coming out now that maybe uh, the China deal gets done with uh, between Trump and China, that could have an impact on the market if, if the um, the Chinese were to increase their buying of oil. Um, of course, as you mentioned, the sanctions. So there's there's so many things in play here. It's um, it's gonna be tough to it's, it's it's tough to say with any reasonable certainty. I don't I don't I would say that I think the path to a crash is kind of hard to see right now. But stranger things have happened. Well, last one, Ryan. We've talked a little bit about roads. Uh, so <laughs> this article came out I think yesterday or maybe it was this this morning. Um, they're planning to invest fifty eight million dollars. To fund a project that's going to give, I believe it's 32 miles of U.S. Highway 82, um, and then also in Highway 285. This is places that have been worked with a lot of traffic from the oil and gas activity. So uh, we've complained about the way they spend the money, and um, we'll continue yeah, to complain about the way they spend the money. <laughs> yeah, I ain't gonna stop. But um, they are they are finally getting to the roads. Um, what's that? 
thirty-six billion dollars later, they are uh, <laughs> they're they're funneling a little bit of the money into the road systems to uh, to improve yep. those. And hey, Josh, so, I'm going to tell you uh, um, at the start of the show questions. We got a question from a listener. Uh, a couple weeks ago before I went to Africa, I have not had a chance to answer that. We do have that question in the hopper. Hopefully uh, next week, assuming everything with the baby is going good, we will get on that question. If you have a question you want answered, um, you know, it was funny. Someone emailed a question in about David Blackman, and he co-hosted the day that you were uh, out a few weeks ago. And so he was yeah. actually here to answer the question about himself. So that was kind of neat. Um, but anyways, so if you have a question, be sure to go to the com website and sign up for the fishing trip, and also send Nate an email, and he will make sure that we at least take a stab at your question, if nothing else. And so we have it was it was on the common carrier debate. And the other thing, Josh, before we get any further, is the craw, uh, the crawfish bowl. Nate's got me saying crawfish. The shrimp bowl. We are still looking to potentially do that in Midland and Houston, um, and so hopefully we'll have some information about. Um, the, that event or what events we can put on here in the next few weeks. That will be on the website. That will be on LinkedIn. So be sure to check all that out. Well, Brian, I think uh, that's it. That's it on my end, man. I think uh, it covers all the news. Okay, well, we will leave with this. We have on um, Aubrey and Sally Black, the owners of Bath and Bay Rod and Gun, that we recorded with them while we are down there. So be sure to check that out. Again, go, go, go call them up, folks. They have – I'm not saying this. It was – it was it was about as the best of experiences you can experience from hospitality and all that. Fishing was was great. We had a great time. It was a little cold. That's weather related. You can't always can't always get that that portion taken care of. But the things that they could take care of, especially with the hospitality, um, the sweets stuff was was really first class. It was really super nice. Uh, treated us like like uh, royalty, right? I mean, and we had a blast. So if you haven't signed up, textonguestpodcast.com slash fishing. And with that, here is the great folks at Bath and Bay Rod and Gun. <laughs> okay, so we're here with uh, Captain Sally, who I've been corresponding with uh, for the past couple months about this trip. We've been talking about the podcast and Captain Aubrey Black at Bath and Bay Rod and Gun. They are the owners down here. And I got to say, first off, we've had a fantastic time. So thank you guys for having us. Um, and I was wondering what kind of guidance we would get, but you guys were able to get Josh Shelton a fish on today. And that's, that's a major accomplishment to take a, to call him a novice would be an overstatement. Um, but to take a guy like him and to get him to catch a fish, how, how, how long have you been doing this and how hard was that to overcome Josh's inadequacies today? <laughs> well, I've, uh, I'm on my 16th year of guiding here in Baffin. And uh, as far as Josh's inadequacies, well, we won't uh, talk too much about that. But, but no, everybody did great today. Um, like, like my lovely wife likes to say, it's, it's uh, fishing and not world peace. So it's, it's all about having a good time with your friends. It's uh, uh, the camaraderie and the cutting up. And, and believe me, uh, you know, I, I know the people on the podcast can't hear or imagine what was said today on the boat but it was there was some 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 good natured cut ups you know and I didn't see anybody get mad I I heard a couple things that would have made some should have made somebody mad but I didn't really hear anything didn't get anybody mad but no it's a this industry has changed so much over the years instead of uh, filling up an ice chest full of fish anymore our industry has become an entertainment industry so it's up up to the guide to make sure that everyone in, on board is happy. Uh, catching fish is a big plus, but it's, uh, I mean, that's exactly what we're striving to do, but it's still, um, it's still icing on the cake whenever we go, when we go out there. We try real hard to make sure everyone has a good time. Well, I think you dubbed it the Baffin Bay beatdown in the boat, is how you describe what happened between me and Josh today. Um, so you're downplaying it now, obviously, as you're, but... It was a massacre out there today. It was embarrassing. Um, are you going? Are you guys going to let him come back and fish? Really? You, you don't have to answer that. We'll talk about that later. Um, you know, I don't know if you want to come back and fish or not. Luckily, he doesn't have a microphone right now, so he can't say anything. This is, this is wonderful. Um, you talked about being an entertainment and experience. You know, being in the oil and gas business, we take clients, we take friends, we take coworkers to do things. And you know, we didn't know much other than we're coming to fish. And you mentioned something about there's a dinner, and you know, we got here last night and we're served an excellent dinner. Um, there was an open bar, nice place to stay. Got to go out and have a great fishing experience. So it's you guys have really built, uh, built a 
uh, you know, top-notch type experience from the time that you walk in the door to the time that you get ready to leave. When you come back in, there's hamburgers right, right to go. And it's the little things that can, can make a trip where today we caught a lot of fish, but we didn't, you know, we didn't just catch the limit for everyone. We caught a lot of fish. Um, but then on top of that, you have the fish you caught plus everything along the way that really built out a, a very solid experience for us. So kind of give us the genesis of you've been doing it for a while. Um, how is the evolution to get to this point today? That is a really, really long story, but I'm going to tell it to you in a nutshell. Um, back in uh, 09, I started uh, dating Aubrey, and we fell in love and got married in 2010 out here on the bay. I was fishing in Rockport, guiding there since 98, and uh, been a shallow water guide there. And Aubrey, like he said, has been here quite a while and had a place here already, a smaller lodge. And so after we remodeled it and, and fixed it and bought all new furniture and new appliance, it burned down. So we had to start all over again at 50 years old. And so this is what we built out of heart and love and soul right here. Um, Aubrey's dream to have a world-class fishing and hunting lodge on Baffin Bay. And <clears throat> since we've been doing this so long, we, we know exactly what people want. Because when we go places, we know what we want, and we treat people the, the way that we want to be treated. That's why we have an open bar here. We have cold beer on tap. We have a, a professional chef. Um, it's simple, easy. You show up. You don't have to think. You need something. We have it. All of our guides are teaching guides, so it doesn't matter what your skill level is, although Baffin has been known as a real advanced angler's bay for a long, long time. But we have put many, many, many beginners on the fish of their life, and it's not that easy. It's not that hard, but it's not that easy, because you've got people's expectations, um, skill level, like you talked about, and um, Mother Nature, like y'all had this morning with the lightning storm that kind of had to wait, and um, and then you know kind of had to pick a close by place because you got a late start, but caught fish anyway. And Baffin is just. Um, in the best shape it's been in a, in a long, long time. It's so beautiful. And so that's why we're really, really high on, on future experience here. Because we offer a full and all-inclusive package here, everybody gets to experience the whole nine yards. And it makes it so much better than just a fishing trip. And we... Uh, we're really, really lucky to, because we've been doing this for so long, we've kind of put together something that's really, really great. Even for corporate packages, for families, uh, reunions, uh, a couple guys getting together, it doesn't matter. Uh, we sleep 21 people here, and we are um, set up and ready to go. Yeah, you mentioned 21 people. That's what I was going to bring up. So it does sleep 21 people here. That's right here on site. And to, re to reiterate that, it's not 21 people sleep. It's 20 people come in, they eat, there's a TV, there's outside, it's a little cold to go swimming, but there's a pool. There's some other, some other activities I saw outside as well. Um, there's a grill. Um, and so it's really a nice, just, you know, nice evening. You get up, you go fishing. And, um, you know, 21 people, that's, that sounds like a lot, but I bet, <laughs> I bet you guys with a place like this can fill this thing up pretty regularly, especially during the busy time of season. Let's talk about um, the fish that are down here. So if you've never been to Baffin Bay, so it's me and Josh's first time, and uh, one of the winners, uh, Steve's first time, I think, as well. And then the other winner, uh, I think he had been down here before. But um, so we caught today, we caught a flounder, we caught some trout, and we caught some reds. Um, so if you come any time of the year, is that what you expect to catch? Or is it by month by month? Kind of walk us through. So we have winners that will be coming down next month in April. Uh, what should we look for in April compared to what we saw here in March? Well, March and April are, I guess we would call that our prime time for uh, trophy trout. And trophy trout are... Uh, basically, Parks and Wildlife says anything over 25 inches, but Baffin uh, has its own reputation. And I would say uh, you got to be at least 28 inches before it raises an eyebrow around here. Like I said, we've had three of the last four state records have come out of this bay. So this, this, is, where, this is where people come, and uh, this is where they consider the mecca of trophy trout. Uh, March and April, like I said, are probably our prime months for that. Um, you can catch redfish pretty much any time. Our flounder, our flounder population has really exploded in the last, I don't know, five or six years. 
And while we don't necessarily target them, uh, we seem to catch quite a few as our incidental bycatch. Well, I think that this year, the trophy trout season will go into May. And what we mean by trophy trout is these big, big trout that live in this bay that don't go anywhere, they just eat, grow, and procreate here. Um, they're adapted to the bay system. It's, it's a hypersaline landlocked lagoon, so that makes it very different from all other places in Texas. They're adapted and they stay here and they're feeding up for the spawn right now. And you know, mother nature kind of dictates when they feed. And they like to have like more bang for their buck, so they're eating big, right now they're eating big mullet generally, because that's about what's in the system. And big mullet could be anywhere from four inches to eight or nine inches. They would even eat their own. So they just are eating, when it comes time to eat, they're eating everything in sight. So at this time of the year, um, an eight pound trout in the summer would be 10 pounds. So that's how much they pack on. And so that, that's our trophy trout experience here. Now you're gonna catch big trout like that all year round. This is when they're the heaviest. And then as the season rolls on, uh, we come into late, late spring, early summer, and we do a lot of trout fishing in the morning and lots of topwater fishing. And so everybody will have their um, limits and such uh, in the morning, and then we'll get on the boat about 10.30, 10, 10.30, have a snack, get something to drink, go on off to some real shallow water somewhere and sight cast redfish and black drum, which is an addictive game. So when I say sight cast, I mean ankle deep water, walking along or drifting, see the fish, make the cast. And you can do that with a fly rod or you can do that with a conventional ta tackle. And so we'll spend most of the afternoon when the sun is up just right, seeing fish and making casts. And that is a hoot. So we do our trout fishing in the morning and our redfish fishing in the afternoon. And like we were talking about that flounder deal, they've really started to come on just now and most seasons, May is our top time for catch, really targeting flounder. We can target flounder some years. So early May is really when that starts. And that can be pretty incredible. I, I wouldn't call it a run because there's nowhere to run to. <laughs> but, you know, the, um, fish all have their um, integral habits. And flounder, they're running somewhere, but we're not sure where. But we kind of know where they hang out, and uh, that's part of our season. So then it goes into summer, and it's just a blast. Um, the swimming pool plays a big part of that. Uh, and then um, early fall, again, it's, there's a trout spawn in the fall. And then, you know, we run into um, uh, dove season. And so we match fishing with dove hunting, and that's, a, that's really an awesome day, dove hunting being such a social affair. And then we start duck hunting in November, and then we'll match duck hunting with fishing, and that's a long day. And a lot of guys, those younger guys, they think they, they're going to book three days in a row, right? Blast and cast, and after about day and a half, they'd be like, done. <laughs> Maybe not the oil field guys. Guys, um, that's a challenge to y'all out there. <laughs> but in general, that's our season, and uh, duck season runs to the end of January, and then we start it all over again. You know, what I realized, Josh, is they sponsor the, the show through June, but the dove season and fishing is later in the year, so we gotta, we got to work out that extended contract <laughs> to get the dove fishing deal here. No, this is a, a super nice experience. It's great. It's nice. It's quiet here, safe area. Um, so let's talk about, I know you guys have some sponsors that you probably want to mention, and let's talk about booking trips. Obviously, we connected on LinkedIn. You're very active on LinkedIn posting very enticing pictures that make people want to come down here but people want to book a trip they want to know talk about your sponsors as well and you know you have any, you know events or you know networking things that you might be doing i know y'all were in sugar sugarland this the other day talking about something so um anything else you want to plug or promote go ahead and do it now well our uh, our primary uh sponsor i'm not sure if you really would call it a sponsor but we are uh orvis endorsed uh, we're, we're endorsed for fly fishing and for wing shooting. Now that's a, uh, uh, we personally consider that very prestigious. A lot of people do too. Um, Orvis is a, not just a 
not just a nationwide company, but an, uh, a worldwide company. And they have very, very high standards for their uh, fishing and hunting operations. And we went through a nice uh, year-long uh, interview process with some of the big wigs from, uh, from Orvis. And uh, they deemed us worthy. And so- Two years in a row. Yeah, and, and we're not, uh, we're, we're kind of a square peg uh, if you know a whole lot about Orvis, uh, most people think of Orvis fishing some of the western rivers and and uh, fly fishing type stuff like that. We're we're a little different. You know, we're from the south, and you know we have a little twang in our voice and drawl, and so we're not quite like they are. But you know, but they they saw the they saw what we had to offer here. They saw the resource that we had here, and uh, they knew that it was something special, and that they wanted it. They wanted uh, their client, their client base, to experience that. So Orvis is uh, one that we are extremely proud of, and uh, very, very, uh, I said, very happy to be a part of the Orvis team. And all our Forever Last, which uh, everybody knows about, Forever Last, uh, Wade, Wade Boots, and uh, uh, Deer Feeders, and a little bit of everything. They do a little fishing, a little hunting, and. Billy Gerke runs a really top-notch organization, really fine guy. We've, we've known Billy for a long time, great guy. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of the equipment that we, that we have here for our clients is uh, Forever Last Gear. And then, of course, uh, one of our new sponsors here recently is uh, 13 Fishing. We uh, use 13 Fishing rods and reels, and uh, I think y'all use some of those today. Very good, very, very high quality, high end equipment. And uh, we, we've had, we, they're fairly new to us and everything, but uh, you know, they, they had a, quite a reputation before we uh, got involved with them. And uh, we hope we don't drag them down. <laughs> but no, actually, I think, I think it's, a, it's a really good match for us. And then the other, uh, our, our other, kind of a higher end um, sponsor that we have is, uh, and, and this is fairly recent too, is uh, Yeti. Yeti began a brand new uh, program this year uh, with lodges and we are the very first Yeti Lodge in Texas. And so we're extremely proud of that. And we, lo we love Yeti gear anyway. I mean, all of our boats have Yetis on them. Uh, I can't tell you how many guys show up here with their Yeti tumblers and I won't tell you what's in them, but you can imagine. Whatever it is, it stays really, really cold for a long time. And saltwater assassin, which, uh, you know, that's one, of the, that's one of the things that I threw a long time before it became, before we even tried to, to uh, uh, use them as a sponsor. And so it was, it was something that I, I like to be able to, I, I don't like to be a sellout or just do it because somebody gave me something free. I want it to be something that I sincerely like and really, really use. And I've always used Saltwater Assassin, and that's, it's been to me, it's been top-notch plast soft plastics. And to have them on board now is is uh, just fantastic. I'm, I can't believe we're fortunate enough to have them. And uh, Teresa Shiver is our main. Um, She's the main girl over there, and you know, like I said, she's like a saint to me. I'm, uh, she's, I, 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 every time I talk to her on the phone, I tell her she's my second favorite girl in the whole world. That's just because she sends you boxes and boxes and boxes of plastics, I'm sure. <laughs> but yes, you're right. We're so lucky to have so many great sponsors, and uh, Sarge Custom Rods uh, provides us with all of our custom rods. Waypoint Marine in Corpus Christi has given us uh, the opportunity of a lifetime, and they called us and said, hey, we want you to run our boats. And so we're running 23-foot shoalwater cats, and we are uh, powered by, yeah, powered by uh, the Evinrude 300G2, which is a badass. And uh, our boats are set up like floating living rooms, man. We can accommodate so many people, and it's really, really comfortable. And we can sight cast and fly fish off the bow if we want to or go 55 miles an hour if we need to. So we're really, really lucky. Um, just, I'm sure there's more to list, but oh, one real important thing that we forgot about, Aubrey and I threw our 
uh, trials and tribulations with uh, jig heads, decided that we were going to manufacture our own, to our own specifications. And we found someone who is the godfather of the screw lock jig head, Terry Oldham, out of Wimberley, Texas. And he had his own line of, of, uh, of jig heads. And so we talked him into building some for us to our specs, uh, Gamakatsu uh, number, number one hooks. And the jig heads are 132nd ounce. And we have discovered through the years that lighter is better. Lighter and slower and lower is better for fishing. So our own uh, hooks are called Black's Magic. And you can find them online. You can find them at Tackle Town in Rockport and Roy's Bait and Tackle, the new Tackle Mecca in Corpus Christi. Well, speaking of sponsors, we got to thank our sponsor, which is Baffin Bait Rod and Gun. So thank you guys so much for having us. Uh, thank you for bringing us down and the listeners down. And it's been fantastic. You know, I was, we were talking to the guys last night, and I said, you know, the two biggest things we get feedback on right now is the eminent domain debate and the fishing sponsor. So that's the two biggest things we get feedback on. Um, and so if you're listening, texasoilandgaspodcast.com slash fishing is where you can sign up for your chance to win a trip. We have April, May, and June on the books as we speak right now. And uh, we have not announced those winners, so you have a chance to win one of those trips. Um, and if you want to take a client, friend, coworker, family reunion, I think you mentioned Baffin Bay Rod and Gun, Dot com is the website. They're on social media, posting pics of fish that just makes you want to come down here and rip a little lip like we did this morning. Well, I say we, everyone but Josh, basically. I mean, we, we all ripped a lot of lip. He ripped a lip. I guess he did rip a lip, technically is how you would say that. He did rip a lip. Okay, okay. That's a correction there. So, again, thank you guys for sponsoring, and we'll be back here next month. And hopefully, I think maybe we'll start having some weekly fishing reports coming in for you guys, talking about what to expect and uh, what you've been seeing down here. So people are wanting to bring a client or someone down here that kind of know what's going on in the bay. So uh, thank you again. And to the listeners, until next time, keep clapping. (laughs) 